So let's get to it. So I wrote the message that I'm going to be delivering to you today back in January. And um, then my son got COVID and we found ourselves in quarantine. So I didn't get to give it. Um, So it is actually an extension of our Romans series. For those of you who are with us during that series, we went through a big long list of verses out of Romans chapter 12. And uh, so we're going to revisit the verse that is the foundation of this message. Um, And here's what it says. As far as it depends on you, live at peace or live peaceably with all. As far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. And we found that we could not skip this verse that this verse is very, very important. And it just so happens that when I wrote this message, I used a selection from Matthew. Isn't that just so convenient as our current series is called Selections from Matthew? Thank you, Jesus. It all worked out well. Um, So today we're going to look at Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 through 20. And this is where Jesus gives us some pretty specific instructions for how we can walk out his ways and live peaceably with each other. So would you please stand with me? And we are going to read this passage together as best we can. All right. Ready? Go. If another member of the church sins against you, go and point out the fault when the two of you are alone. If the member listens to you, you have regained that one. But if you are not listened to, take one or two others along with you so that every word may be confirmed by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If the member refuses to listen to them, Tell it to the church. And if the offender refuses to listen, even to the church, let such a one be to you as a Gentile and tax collector. Truly I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, truly I tell you, if two of you agree on earth about anything you ask, It will be done for you by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there among them. This is the gospel of the Lord. And you can be seated. Oh, man. Why do we read that out loud together? Because there is power in the words that we speak. So, Lord, do a transformational work in us this morning. Well, I want to begin this morning by telling you my very first memory. I've got a couple of stories. The first is my first memory. I was about two and a half years old, and my sister and I were outside in the backyard. She was about four, and we were swinging on the swing set. We'd been sent outside because my parents were fighting, and they weren't just arguing. They weren't just yelling. My dad was physically beating my mom, and we could see it all straight through the screen door. Later, my mom would tell me how my dad almost killed her on several occasions. My dad was an alcoholic, and when he was drunk, he became irrationally angry and abusive. My parents divorced when I was three, no surprise there. Fast forward about a decade. I'm a high school student. My best friend's name is Topaz. Kind of cool. (laughs) Topaz from Alaska. Everyone thought she was really cool. I mean, Topaz from Alaska, come on. Um, We met as freshmen, and we just became 
fast friends. Um, and she was one of my best friends for a couple of years. And then things started to kind of grow cold, and I didn't know why. Um, and then I started catching her in lies. I remember one time I invited her to come with me to youth group, and she told me that her dad said that she wasn't allowed to go out that night. And then I went to ice cream with my friend Austin after youth group, and when we walked in the door, there was Topaz with some other friends. And I just remember it cut me. It cut me through the heart. And things like this just kind of continued to happen over the space of about a year. Rather than, you know, sit down and talk with her about my feelings, I did something that still kind of haunts my heart to this day. Um, I pulled a Rachel. If any of you have ever watched the show Friends, I pulled a Rachel and I wrote her a letter 14 pages front and back. No, it wasn't that long. But it was, it was, it was not a nice letter. And it, I told her how much she was hurting me. And I left it on her doorstep. Do you think things got better? Mm-mm. We did work through some things, but it took some, some healing. Well, I just described for you two modes of conflict. One, angry, confrontational violence, the other, avoidance. Some people get angry, some people avoid, some people use social media to passively, aggressively, you know, confront the person who's offended them and just hope that they come across that post. Any of you ever come across a rant on social media? Usually there's like a headline, it's like rant, warning, and really what we should do is scroll by, but who's not curious? (laughs) Okay, I read the rants. Oh, man. Paul tells us in Romans 12, 18, that you and I have a responsibility to live peaceably with all. And I fear for some in this room that this gets translated in our minds as, just be nice. How many of you ever had your parents say, just be nice, play nice? But Paul, who wrote these words, was um, also the man who said that God's kindness leads us to repentance, Repentance, repentance is an awakening of our sin. Repentance is confession. Repentance can be painful. Paul is the one who said God's kindness leads us to repentance. And here he tells us to live peaceably at all because Paul was not Mr. Nice Guy. We read his letters and Paul is constantly confronting, urging, explaining, persuading, clarifying. He's always in the thick of it. That's what it means to be kind. Peace for the Christ follower came at great cost. Because of that, we worship. We just came out of a a time of worship. We worship a crucified Lord, not just a resurrected Savior. Thank you, Lord, for saving me, but he wants to be Lord of my life. And, And his body was broken and beaten and bruised, and he died so that... We could have peace with God and peace with each other. But we're all products of the environments that we grew up in, the family systems that we grew up in, the cultures that we grew up in. And so we learn how to deal with conflict in some way. We have a default. In my case, the angry, abusive trauma that I experienced in my formative years caused me to want to avoid conflict at all costs. Terrified me. But conflict is unavoidable. Where there are people, there is sin. And where there is sin, there is destined to be offense. And we are destined to offend. Listen to what Dietrich Bonhoeffer said in his book, Life Together. 
Christ opened up the way to God and to our brother. Now Christians can live with one another in peace. They can love and serve one another. They can become one. But they can continue to do so only by the way of Jesus Christ. So here at New Hope, we are learning. We are all in process, and we are learning how to live at peace according to the way of Jesus. Not according to the way that we were raised, not according to our instincts, not according to the way of the world. And it's only in doing this together that we can learn to live peaceably with all. So I have written a prayer that I want to read and pray over you. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? God, almighty and holy, merciful and loving, faithful and forgiving, we are not up to this task. We admit now that apart from Jesus, we can do nothing. We turn to your word for guidance and position our hearts to receive its truth. We ask that you would imbue us with humility and contrition. We lay down the weapons of pride, shame, anger, and avoidance. And we take up the plowshare of truth and peace so that we might faithfully till the soil of your beloved kingdom as children of the king. We invite you, Jesus, to be Lord of our lives and we submit ourselves to purification and redirection as your Holy Spirit beckons. In Jesus' name, amen. Before we look more closely at Matthew 18, I want to um, direct you to your handout. There's a little chart in there. It's on the top of the second page. And here is um, kind of a delineation between some default positions that we take. It's pretty black and white. You're going to notice a stark contrast. Two words, peacemaker and peacekeeper. Jesus has called us to be peacemakers. So let's talk about what a peacemaker does. And this list is not complete, but I think it's a good jumping off point for us to understand where we're headed. Peacemakers take action to resolve a conflict. Peacemakers vulnerably and honestly confront to repair. Peacemakers enact the kindness of Jesus by speaking the truth in love. Kind of like what Teacher Reed was talking about. How we think about the person we confront is very important. Peacemakers gain relief by initiating with the offender. So we're going to talk about peacekeepers. I think, I don't know if I'm right, but I have this hunch, this just based on my life and experience, that we live in a culture that is forming peacekeepers. So I think it's good for us to go through this list and kind of ask ourselves where we might see ourselves in it. Peacekeepers passively ignore conflict. Peacekeepers pridefully deny in order to avoid Peacekeepers enact the niceness of the world by living a fiction of their own making. Peacekeepers gain relief by gossiping about the offender. The peacekeeper lives in constant turmoil and unresolved conflict. I've been there. I'm going to raise both my hands. I'm not going to make you raise yours. I think it, it's difficult to move into a peacemaking role. But God has called us to be 
peacemakers, those who actually create by action peace, to replace turmoil, to replace conflict with peace. Jesus has laid out the way. So we're going to read Matthew 18 again. And one thing I want you to kind of pay attention to and listen for is the word if. If another member of the church sins against you, go and point out the fault when the two of you are alone. If the member listens to you, you have regained that one. But if you are not listened to, take one or two witnesses along with you so that every word may be confirmed by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If the member refuses to listen to them, take the matter to the church. And if the offender refuses to listen even to the church, let such a one be to you as a Gentile or tax collector. I could stop there, but I think the next few verses are really important. Truly I tell you, what you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, truly I tell you, if two of you agree on earth about anything you ask, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there among them. So I said to pay attention to the word if. There were a lot of ifs in there. And that little if is what I call a contingency. Jesus gave us a list, a process full of contingencies because peace is so important to him. So we're going to look at the four steps that he laid out, how we can be peacemakers in the midst of a world filled with conflict. Okay, step one. Go alone to the one who has offended you. Verse 15. I wrote in my notes here, shudder, quake. (laughs) This is hard. If you were raised like me, your brain synapses are probably firing and triggering your adrenal glands. And that in turn is making your heart beat faster. Just thinking about having some kind of confrontation. Maybe you're like me and you had violence in your home. And so that has caused you to be somebody who wants to be an avoider. Or maybe it has caused you to have anger in your own life. I have compassion for you. Maybe you lose your temper and you're afraid of what you might say or do when triggered. For most of us, this is not a small step. This is the starting step, but it's not a small step. In fact, I have a picture. It's like a grand jeté. Any dancers out there? I mean, I know there's one back there. I see my daughter. I see some hands. Oh, okay. I learned a little bit just now. I have some questions to ask for some of you. We got some dancers in the room. A grand jeté. I mean, no, you can leave that up there. Look at that. I mean, I can't even touch my toes, let alone, oh, man, it's gone. It's gone for good. (laughs) Look at her. I know a girl who could do this. And let me tell you, it's like, it's freaky. (laughs) This is what Jesus is asking some of us to do when it comes to being peacemakers, when it comes to resolving conflict. It's a stretch for us because we're so used to overlooking and undervaluing and denying and ignoring or living with the pain of resentment in our lives. Some in this room would rather die then confront another person. But Paul tells us to be peacemakers. He says, as far as it depends on you, live peaceably at all. That's a gut punch of personal responsibility. That means that I have to own my feelings. He's calling us to action. Um, he's, He's putting the ball in our court. And I'm like, 
let me get a tennis racket and just get that ball out of there. I don't want the ball in my court. We don't want it. We need some skills. We need some experience. We need to be renewed. We need some courage. We need some guts. And we need, just like Teacher Reed said, a lot of the Holy Spirit to guide us. And we'll talk more about that in a moment. All right, step two. Should step one fail? You went alone, didn't go so well. Well, guess what? You're not finished. You're not like, check, did my job. Nope. Jesus says, go back. <gasps> go back with a couple of witnesses. Wait, what? I already did a grand jeté, Jesus. You're telling me that you want me to perform like an entire song on point? I mean, I look like a fool. Some of us look like a fool in this process. Let's be honest. Jesus is so unreasonable, isn't he? <laughs> he really does not allow for a way out. He really doesn't. Colossians 2.2 says this. I want them, the church, to be encouraged and knit together by strong ties of love, which can't exist in the middle of resentment. I want them to have complete confidence that they understand God's mysterious plan, which is Christ himself. God's mysterious plan is reconciliation. Remember the Dietrich Bonhoeffer quote, Christ opened up a way to God and to our brother, to our sister, to one another. So let's talk a little bit about blind spots. Everyone put your hands up. I'm sorry. I'm a teacher. I can't help it. I got to get you moving. Otherwise, I'm going to lose you. It's a lot of content. We all have blind spots. I mean, you can't see all the things that you need to be working on, right? We all have them. One of the reasons to include a couple of witnesses in a difficult conversation is so that both people can be held accountable to their blind spots. This is not about right and wrong. No, it's about moving toward one another. An objective third party can bear witness to the dynamics of a situation and give perspective that isn't seated in emotion or defensiveness. What a gift. What a gift. It's almost like Jesus knew what he was talking about. I like that. <laughs> we can trust the scriptures. Theologian Stanley Hauerwas warns us, and let me warn you right now, this is a rebuke that we need to sit with a little bit. Here's what he says. It is a sin to think you are capable of naming your own sin. You can only know your sin by being told by another. I mean, I don't know about that. I want to have all my stuff together. I want to be like all good. I don't want somebody to tell me the things I need to work on. That hurts. That's painful. It makes me feel defensive. It makes me feel emotional. But Stanley Howross is, is challenging us as the body of Christ. He's saying we need to be vulnerable. We need to trust other people. We need to allow the voice of criticism to come and to penetrate because the Holy Spirit is doing a transformational work in our lives, but not just between me and the Holy Spirit. He is going to use us as brothers and sisters in Christ if we come in humility, if we receive in humility. The world says... I need blanket approval. The world says I need to be perfect. Otherwise, that's it. But we are not living according to the way of the world. I think one of the things that really is a stumbling block here is that we have fear. We have fear to have our sins named because we're afraid that we're going to be rejected. 
We're afraid we cannot be forgiven. Or we're afraid to name another sin because we're afraid that they're going to be mad at us. Or we're afraid that they're not going to receive it. Or we're afraid that they're just going to ditch us and not want to be in our lives anymore. My friends, it should not be so. This is antithetical to the way of Jesus. The activity of reconciliation one to another is a central part of how we walk out the work of the cross in our lives. Okay, step three. Should step two fail, take the matter to the church. Here we really get a sense of the high stakes community that we are all a part of here at New Hope. Jesus Christ has asked us to love his bride, which is the church, and to love it well. He loves the church. He died for the church. The church, at its best, is the hope of the world. We need to be in our best when it comes to this. Um, now, you might be thinking, I've never been a part of one of these types of gatherings. I've never been told about some kind of weird conflict where there was no, I, I've never been brought in on that. And I, I have a couple thoughts on that. One, either we just do such a terrible job of working out this particular passage in our lives um, because we're too busy being peacekeepers instead of peacemakers, or maybe the situations don't get there so much because steps one and two worked. There's actually great hope in those first two steps. This is probably like a small percentage of the conflicts that we have come our way. And oftentimes those conflicts are, if, if we're so blessed as pastoral staff and leaders here at New Hope to be invited into these difficult and delicate moments, you know, we've been brought in and not everybody has to know about it. And I think having a pastor come into a difficult situation is actually a really powerful thing and an un underutilized piece of how we want to serve and help the body of Christ function in unity and wholeness. All right, step four. Should all previous attempts fail, Jesus says, let such a one be to you as a Gentile or a tax collector. Verse 17. So you may have been taught that this verse means that you get to excommunicate or cast out the unrepentant person from the church. Amen. Finally, I get to bring down the hatchet. <laughs> Cut him out. <laughs> You're toxic. Out of here. No, 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 no. Some Bible translations do use those words. I looked it up. And I've heard it. I've heard it a lot in my life, actually. But if we are to be those who live peaceably of all, and if Jesus died for our very peace with God, then I think it's really important that we clearly understand what this verse is trying to tell us. And so today, you did not know this, but get your little pinkies out. Also, get out your little, I don't know what I did with my little, disappeared as if from nowhere. Get your little handout out. Because we've got some Bible scholar. This is my, my stuck-up finger. I don't know why Bible scholars are stuck up in my mind. I'm a Bible scholar. I'm not stuck up. We're all going to be Bible scholars this morning. Isn't that just what you wanted to do on the morning of daylight savings when you lost an hour of sleep? Yes. It's going to be so good, you guys. <laughs> so I've got a couple words for you that you may not have heard before. One, and some of you may have heard of it before. Exegesis and hermeneutics. So basically, these terms are just referring to the process by which we interpret scripture. One system that I learned in Bible college is called oika. Everybody say oika. And I can still hear my, my professor, Larry Powers, saying, observation, interpretation, correlation, application, observation, interpretation, correlation, application, observation. He could talk really fast. It was impressive. 
Observation, interpretation, correlation, and application. This is a valuable tool for understanding difficult scripture passages, and there's a lot of them. So we're going to apply oika to Matthew 18, 17 this morning. So we're going to start with some observations. What is it that we see just by reading this passage? So to begin, what we are reading here is a conversation between Jesus and his disciples, all of whom were Jewish. The Jews regarded tax collectors and Gentiles as dirty. Outsiders with whom they should not associate. But Jesus was constantly pushing against these superficial and damaging ways of seeing people. In fact, this is interesting, there would have been a tax collector right there in their very midst. His name was Levi, also known as Matthew. He wrote the book of Matthew. And Levi was called to be a disciple of Jesus before he ever believed in Jesus. He was brought in by Jesus. Dirty tax collector that he was. Also, a few chapters before this, we see that Jesus heals the daughter of a Gentile woman. And what does he say to her? He says, you have great faith. What? She's a Gentile. She's not one of the chosen. Okay, interesting. In light of these observations, a good question to ask would be, how did Jesus regard Gentiles and tax collectors? So there's just a couple simple observations. There's much more that could be done, but we'll leave it at that for now. All right, we did observations. Now we're going to do interpretation. So here I need to remind you that the Bible was not originally written in English. This passage would have been written in Greek. And we need to have some awareness about what the original words were in Greek and what they meant. So I looked up the word in this passage that can sometimes be translated as excommunicator cast out, and the word is esto. And esto is a neutral verb, which is translated in all other contexts as let, let be, let him be, or let them be. Hmm, interesting. Translations that use the verbiage cast out or excommunicate are actually imposing cultural or personal or theological norms onto the Greek that really is not there. And that's playing a part in the translation. So that's kind of a big liberty to take because we're talking about actually making somebody leave the body of Christ. Important. Doesn't do the original language justice. Okay, correlation. This step is so important. In fact, if you have a pen, I would suggest that you put a big star next to this word. There is a lot more to it than this, but essentially correlation means that we are connecting the passage we're reading to other passages in scripture that talk about the same thing so that we can get a fuller sense of what the word is saying. We do it with as many texts as we can. And this is how we avoid making egregious theological errors by taking one scripture text and applying it to our lives in ways that are damaging. And I could give you examples, but we simply don't have time this morning. In this case, the greater context of the scriptures, Jesus tells us to love our enemies, Matthew 5, 44. To not judge lest we be judged, Matthew 7, 1. Jesus says that our anger puts us in, the danger, of, in danger of the fires of hell. That's Matthew 5, 22. In fact, Jesus himself is cornered by the teachers and religious uh, leaders of that time, and they confront him to, to ask about the concept of di divorce, which is the permanent rending of a relationship sanctioned by God. 
And he reminds them that the tearing apart of two people joined together was a concession that God made. But it was not his heart. And then another passage, after eating a meal at Zacchaeus' house, who was, by the way, a tax collector, Jesus said these words, the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. The new covenant Jesus ushered in is not based on cutting people off or cutting people out. We are far too comfortable with that. Most people cut people off before they even try step one. Our culture does this by labeling. I used the word toxic earlier. I hear that word so much. Let me tell you right now, we are all toxic. We are all toxic. Our sin seeps down and it poisons our very motivations and then we have blinders about it, don't even know we're doing it. We are all toxic. Every single one of us. What does Paul say in Romans 7, 25? Who, who can free me from this body that is destined for death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Only the gospel can do anything about our toxic condition. All right, last step, application. Now that we have engaged more deeply with the passage through observations, interpretation, correlation, we can rightly apply this scripture to our lives. So how does Matthew 18, 17 apply to us in the grand scheme of peacemaking? Let's read it again. If the offender refuses to listen even to the church, let such a one be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. The final step Jesus lays out before us has to do with a choice. A choice for us to reposition our hearts to live the cruciform life. And that means this, to take up our cross and follow his ways. Jesus ate with sinners. Jesus invited sinners. Jesus was often offended by sinners. Jesus died at the hands of sinners. Should we not lay down our lives to make room for those who are sinners, who have not figured out how to fully walk out their faith? Which, by the, the way, is called a process of sanctification. None of us have arrived. If somebody's blind spot is so blind that they can go through step one, two, three, and then we get to step four, the onus is on us. We need to learn how to walk with them in that. And, you know, I'm not even going to sit here and, and do some kind of like, but, you know, we're not going to apply that to certain situations because, you know what, we are none of us in danger of applying this so deeply to our lives that we are living in, in you know, some kind of system that we're going to be broken by. I, I don't believe that. Not here in this church. Maybe in your homes, and that's something we would like, would like to help you with, but not here in this church. Far too many people depart instead of do a dance. Remember, we talked about, we're going to do grand jetés together. We're going to do, you know, dancing on point together. In fact, we're going to perform the Nutcracker together. Because you know what? Jesus is about the gospel of peace. While we are, we're still sinners, Christ died for us. So we get to die for each other. And in doing so, we dance. Do you want to dance together? It's going to take some training. It's going to be painful. Have you seen a dancer's feet? Ooh. But Jesus wants us to dance together. He wants us to dance in grace, to dance in truth, to dance in peace. 
I have to tell you that I practiced this at home, and as I wrote it, I just continued to cry, and I'm really grateful I didn't, I didn't choke up this morning. God's mercy is so high. It is so costly, the way of Jesus. We fall so short, and yet God forgives us. And, and actually, just a few verses later, I think it's five verses later, Jesus instructs Peter to forgive 70 times 7. I, I want to walk down that road, but I won't. But let that sit. In other words, we are supposed to forgive each other as many times as it takes, even when we're not heard, even when we're not understood. And it is hard. Okay, we made it through the scholar section. Give yourselves a round of applause. Everyone take a deep breath. We covered some ground. Now, I've got a few notes about, about verses 18 through 20, which I left in by, on purpose because I felt like they were so important. And contextually, um, I want to be able to do some connecting of the dots there. Um, here's a couple thoughts. The first is Jesus links heaven and earth with this, this uh, concept of biblical peacemaking. He promises breakthrough both in the seen worlds, the earth, and in the unseen in heaven. That's great news for us. Takes some hard work. The second is this. Jesus promises to be with us. He promises to be with us. Where there are two or three gathered together, I am there among them. We usually equate this scripture to just general prayer together, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But the context of this promise is seated in the midst of him directing us how to deal with conflicts, how to deal with events, how to be peacemakers. The Prince of Peace himself is with us as we walk this out. Romans 12, 18, so far as it depends on you, so far as it depends on me, live peaceably with all. To do this, we must first and foremost remember that we are a community of the forgiven so hard to keep this in view. Stanley Hauerwas again, he says this, what it seems we must remember, if we are to be peacemakers capable of confronting one another with our sins, is that we are forgiven and that we are part of the community of the forgiven. Our ability, ability to be truthful peacemakers depends on our learning that we owe our lives to God's unrelenting forgiveness. Amen. We do not therefore... Confront one another from a position of self-righteousness. No, we must come together as one who has been forgiven. This is the seedbed for really productive conversations. It levels the playing field. Teacher Reed did a great job reminding us this morning that we need the right fuel. This is our fuel, our position as those who have been forgiven. The Holy Spirit is our fuel, filled by his love by his eyes to see somebody as human, not just bad, but as human, as in process, as one deserving love and approach in that way. Not anger, not resentment, not being right. This is something that I, I'm telling you right now, I confess before you. And I mean, if you're with me, you can confess to me after church. It's really important we confess our sins one to another so that we might be forgiven. I struggle. I want to be right far often than I want to see people through eyes of love. And it's only probably in the last 
five years of my life, I'm 41 years old, that I have had the Lord open up my blinders and help me to see that when I go to somebody and I am hurting, that I can do grave damage. And I have. I could tell you stories. I simply don't have time. But I'm not afraid to share that with you. I'm not afraid of my sin. Why? Because Christ has covered it. His blood has washed it white as snow. Now, does that mean I am not responsible to walk forward, to take my steps? No. We, we don't just sit. Remember I said we don't just serve a resurrected Savior. We serve a crucified Lord. Lord of my life. Help me to see people beyond my rightness. In 2 Corinthians 5, Paul calls us ambassadors of reconciliation. That's an amazing anointing. John tells us that we love because Christ first loved us. And he says that they, the world outside, who do not yet have a a faith walk with Jesus Christ, will know us by our love. Not by our niceness. Not by our pretending. By our love. And love is costly. The, the, the way of love according to the way of Jesus is costly. For our confrontations to be fruitful, we cannot forget that the very forgiveness that we received must be made available to the one who offended us and also be willing to hear about our own blind spots. Usually there's another side to the story. Are we willing to hear it or we just want to hear our side? Okay, so in your handout, I've got some notes. Um, It's on the very back page. And what you'll see there is a list of tips for the offended and the offender. So whenever you find yourself in one of those two camps, there are some things that we need to think about as we prepare our hearts to have these conversations. All right, so let's talk about some application. We're going to close with some application, and then we're going to take communion together. The first thing is this, take a personal inventory, assess yourself. Are you a peacemaker or a peacekeeper? Now, I'm sure there's times where you've been either thing and that's great. So think about successes. When have you been a peacemaker and you've been like, man, God did a work. When have you been a peacekeeper? And maybe just ask yourself like, what was the damage? What was the cost? What resentments am I living with? Have compassion for yourself. Remember that you learn sinful patterns from sinful parents and there are things that need to be undone. In fact, I wrote here in my notes, this might be a moment for you to say, I need some help. I need to talk to somebody. Isaac and myself, we both have seen professional friends. We call them counselors (laughs) because we don't have all the answers. And sometimes you just are stuck and you need somebody to have compassion and to care for you, but also to pull you out and hand you a toolbox. That's an important thing. We can resource ourselves that way. Number two, review those tips in your handout. Maybe just put it on your fridge because there's always another conflict coming. Number three, commit to being part of the community of the forgiven. And what I mean by this is if you have unresolved conflicts, write down that person's name. Maybe tell your spouse or somebody that you trust, don't tell them their name, but just say, I intend to have a conversation and invite some accountability into your life. 
By doing this, you are further entering into the community of the forgiven and inviting the other person as well. We need to move toward each other, not away. Number four, read emotionally healthy spirituality. So about five weeks ago, we started a class called Emotionally Healthy Discipleship, and it's been so good. It's been so good. Um, So if you had not been able to be a part of that group, get the book, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. It's, it, it will change your life. The author, Pete Scazzaro, he helps us see that we cannot be spiritually mature without being emotionally mature. And we all have stuff. We got to work through it. Okay, last thing. Watch Stanley Hauerwas's treatise on loving your enemy. So on, the, on your handout as well, there is a YouTube link. Um, Stanley Hauerwas is a very important theologian, um, very informative, and he is a big influence on us, um, one of many. His teach you, teaching on Matthew 18 is challenging. It's revolutionary. It's profound. I would, I would say if, you, if you're like, I'm not a reader, that book is too much for me, maybe take a smaller next step and watch the 18-minute YouTube video. You can put it on 1.5 speed, okay? Like, that's 12 minutes. So you can do this. Um, if it is possible, so far as, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. What a tall order. Paul is such an idealist. Ugh. But aren't you glad that scripture calls us higher? Scripture calls us up and out. 